the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It is a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. All you have to do is hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else is free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Um, Got a lot going on here tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Our men's, women's, and junior high school and high school Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch uh, the uh, ladies' Bible study at 7 o'clock at calvarysa.com. And um, it's a good time to bring the whole family. Uh, We'll have child care for the younger children, but even then they'll be taught the Bible. So uh, all of that's going on here tonight at 7 o'clock. I think I've got Lauren Bland who will be teaching the ladies. Pastor Ken uh, will be teaching his men's Bible study, uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew, the junior high and high school Bible studies. Hey, just want to share something. You can you can be praying. Something really kind of neat is going on here at Calvary Chapel. Um, we have uh, some real-time translations. You know, while I'm teaching, um, the, the, the translators are translating it to people that come in and need the earphones for that. Uh, Spanish translation, of course, is live. We've been doing this for many, many years. But a, a few months ago, uh, we have a woman who speaks Mandarin, and um, she wanted to bring somebody, and she said she would do the real-time translation. And, um, you know, since then, we've had a lot of Chinese nationals who are coming uh, to the church, and they're getting saved. Two more of them got saved yesterday. It's a really neat thing to watch. Uh, it just demonstrates that the gospel, the gospel is... is uh, fit for anybody and everybody and it's wonderful to see what God is doing. I was coming off the stage just as the people who came forward to receive Christ uh, in the service uh, were going into the prayer room and as they were going in they were so excited and both of them grabbed me and gave me a big hug. Boy, what a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. So we got real-time Mandarin translation uh, in our first and second services on Sunday as well. So um, just keep praying. And if you know any uh, Mandarin-speaking Chinese, um, let them know that they can come to church here. And they're going to find some Chinese people to kind of hang out with, but real-time Mandarin translation as well. Okay, let's get to questions that have come in while we are waiting for your phone calls. The first one is anonymous from our mobile app. 
and and he or she says, I heard someone say the kenosis of God. What is that? Um, Anonymous, the kenosis of God, that's a theological term, and it is Jesus, the emptying of himself of divine attributes in his incarnation. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, when we're, we're exhorted by the Apostle Paul that our mind should be the same as his, or our attitude should be the same as his, who, though being equal with God, considered equality with God not something to be grasped, he let it go. And Jesus walked every day. He faced every temptation, every trial um, as a human, led by the Spirit in touch with the Father, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was just the emptying. He never did a miracle for his own benefit. Uh, he never pulled the God card to escape any trials or difficulties. Um, but he emptied himself of the divine attributes in his incarnation only. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't have those attributes. He just didn't use them. He emptied himself, or I think it's better to say he distanced himself from them. And it is a wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given to us. Uh, I think sometimes, Anonymous, we don't really understand uh, the value to each of us individually of Jesus' incarnation. God became a man so that we humans could relate to God, so that we could see the Father, who is spirit, who is invisible, but we could see the Father by looking at Jesus. So that's what the kenosis of God is. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 11 or 12, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Great question. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Max. How do we practically forget things that have happened to us and press on, like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3? Max, um, this isn't one of those, how do we do it? This is one of those things that we need to do. You know, I think we need to realize and believe, I mean, truly believe the promises of God. I'm not talking about just intellectually believe them. But we have to believe them in our heart. And we believe them in our heart by putting them into practice. So what we do is we consider ourselves dead to the past. Uh, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I think, Max, there are far too many of us that don't have enough faith to forget that the old is gone. And we hold on to those things. Now, we hold on to them because they're associated with pain or betrayal, uh, 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 terrible things that have happened to us. And and those things actually form who we are. Uh, Paul and I have a saying in our house, people are the way they are for a reason. And And sometimes those things are really hard to let go of. But what we have to do, and this is what Paul is saying, we have to just look forward, not look backwards. The past has no value in our lives anymore. And I think one of the things that would happen if we would really embrace this by faith, Max, is that we wouldn't have Christians still living in sort of a, in sort of a, a victim mentality. Well, you know, I have this or this happened to me. Uh, I have PTSD, whatever it is. What we do is we press on. And the reason we press on is because that's what Jesus has asked us to do. That's why he came, and that's why he died. So practically, Max, it doesn't mean you're going to forget the memory of those things. But what you're going to do is be completely free from the impact of those things in your life. I tell our church here all the time that your past and the pain associated with your past and the mistakes you've made, none of those things need to affect you one more minute of one more day. And if we can really understand that, and again, it takes faith, we've got to put our lives in Jesus' hand, follow him, and do whatever it is that he's set before us to do. And and for Paul, who was betrayed, Paul, who everywhere he went, he was chased out of towns. Uh, Paul was uh, the object of, of death threats constantly. Uh, and, and here's what he said. And now one other thing I want to think about. Paul also had to forget his own past. Paul twice calls himself the worst of all sinners. And he had to forget all of that so that he could focus on moving forward. 
And when we focus on moving forward, that's when we can be in the will of God, and that's when the power of God is available. Max, far too many of us as Christians were holding on to the things in our past, especially those things that hurt us, and it's keeping us from enjoying the fullness of what God has for us. Thanks for the question, Max. That is practical, but it is also very important. Here's an email from Sister. She says, I was told that if I truly loved someone like Jesus, I needed to accept my sister in her potential transition surgery. I don't think I can support it because it is a sin, but I also want to be a good Christian. How should I handle this situation? Sister, um, uh, you're being lied to. You know, that's sort of the, 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 the call of the world. Well, we just love each other. And if you love me, you'd accept who I am and what I want to be. But you see, because we love them, sister, we cannot accept who they want to be if who they want to be is going to put them on a path that's going to lead them to an eternity in hell. You see, we have to tell people the truth, but we, we have to do it in love. But, but love without truth isn't love at all. And so don't be bullied or don't. And this is emotional blackmail. Um, she was created in the image of God. Uh, her brain has been hijacked by the world that we live in. And um, the Lord needs people in her life like you, sister, who will stand and say, what you're doing is wrong. It's a sin against God. Please don't do this. And and I, I think f- for just making sure they understand that you're, you're, you're communicating this in love, just say, I can't imagine heaven without you. And you're making a choice that if you pursue this to its end, you're going to spend forever separated from God in hell. And then you have to let the chips fall where they may. Now, sister, you've got to be prepared because there are going to be people in your life, people in your family who are going to come against you. But that's okay. You can explain to them, I'm the only one that really loves her, the only one that the only one that will tell her the truth. And I'm going to tell her what God says. And I'm going to do that because I love her. And if you can't handle that, I didn't mean to sound like Jack Nicholson there, you can't handle the truth. But if you can't handle that, well, then I'm going to pray for you as well. So being a good Christian is not caving into the world. Being a good Christian is not compromising your faith. Being a good Christian is loving your sister uh, enough to tell her the truth. And in the process, you're actually... Um, putting at risk the relationship with her that you have. So be a good Christian by telling the truth and standing your ground. Be compassionate, empathize uh, for by all means, um, by all means, um, let her know that you'll always be there for her, but you cannot support and in fact have to vigorously oppose the choice that she's making. So I hope that gives you a little bit of direction and a little bit of comfort. You know, one of the things I think, and, and this is something that everybody is is going to have to deal with or is dealing with uh, eventually. Um, but we've got to stand our ground, Christians. We cannot be persuaded by the propaganda in this world that that, that what God has told us all along is 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 wrong. We cannot be persuaded. God wants us to be light in this darkness. He wants us to be salt. Salt is a preservative. And so what we've got to do is we've got to be willing to tell the truth no matter what it costs us. And um, there's just too many Christians who are going to be convinced that this is the loving thing to do. One other comment for you, sister, and for everybody else in the audience, because we're going to be dealing with this this dynamic for a very, very long time until Jesus comes anyway. Um, The new attack or the new approach that people transitioning take when it comes to dealing with we who are Christians is this one of love. Well, Jesus would accept me. We have to be bold enough to say, no, he would not. He's the one who made you this way. 
This was your assignment. Biologically, there's proof. Emotionally, there's proof. He wouldn't accept what you're doing now. He would tell you to repent and then come to him. I think that's really, really important. I know I said one more thing, but let me say this. The numbers of people who are suddenly deciding that they're in the wrong body is increasing exponentially, increasing so fast. And it shows you the deceptive power of the devil in the world that we live in. So, sister, you hang in there. The rest of us who are true followers of Jesus Christ, true Christians, we need to be those men and women who will stand for righteousness in the world that we live in. Sorry for your pain and pray for your sister. Here is an anonymous question from our mobile app. As a Christian, when should we disobey the government? <laughs> that's, that's hard. When you're Romans 13 says that we're to be good citizens and we're to obey our governors. However, you remember when Peter and John and the other the disciples had been beaten in their authorities. Now, they were Jewish authorities, but they were the authorities in their life at the time. They commanded them not to speak in this name any longer. They beat him. They let him go. But, but here was the caveat. You must stop speaking in this name. And remember what Peter said? Peter said, will you judge for yourself whether it's right that we obey you or we obey God? And then, of course, they continued to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So, Anonymous, we disobey the government when it conflicts with what God said. It's really that straightforward. If the government says to do one thing and it does not conflict with the word, then then as best we're able, that's what we do. But, for instance, if the government would ever uh, say you have to get, you have to have abortions for population control, that's just an extreme measure. China did that, by the way. Um, um, the, the reality is that we couldn't obey that. So we can't break God's law in order to be obedient to the law of the land. So we disobeyed the government then. Now, there's other choices you can have to make. You know, I know a lot of Christians who are worried now that uh, the aggression with which they're trying to take away guns. Now, I'm not a gun guy. I've got no axe to bear in this. Uh, but um, you, you're going to have to make decisions based on prayer. Anything not of faith is sin, Romans 14, 23. Um, so you're going to have to uh, make a decision in cases like that about what to do. But always honor the Lord before honoring or prioritizing our obligation uh, as Americans to the government. Yes, we are citizens of the world. We're citizens of the United States. But most of all, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. So thank you very, very much. Uh, here's a question from Ron. I can remember that one, Ron, from our email inbox. He says, hi, Pastor Ron. What does it mean that sexual immorality is a sin against the body or self? I assume it is the worst sin because it's emphasized here. Yeah, Ron, when Paul is writing that um, to the Corinthians, you know, he says he, he contrasts it with all other sin. He says, all other sin a man commits outside his own body. But when he sins sexually, he's sinning against his own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, sexual immorality is always listed first on the list of bad sins. Whether you go to Galatians 5 or 1 Corinthians 6, where you see other lists of sinful behavior, sexual immorality is always given priority. The hermeneutic is the, the priority of first mention. Um, uh, there's always emphasis. What Paul means that we are sinning against our own body, um, what he's saying is we're giving the the devil an opportunity. We're giving the the enemy a deeper inroad into our lives. And the reason that we're doing that is is we're, we're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit to protect us. So that's what he says. Again, sexual immorality is a grievous sin. Uh, it's not an unforgivable sin, obviously. But 
what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand is that we're actually helping the devil defeat us. Remember, his mission is to rob, to kill, and destroy. And we're actually helping him do it. In fact, when we are living in sexual immorality, Ron, we're inviting him right in to destroy us. And believe me, he's going to take that opening every single time. And the other thing that he knows is that when we start to sin sexually, the lust factor, the 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 uh, habitual nature of the sin, it gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, we keep looking for 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 more and more evil sexual sin. We find ourselves doing things that we never thought we would do. We find ourselves suffering consequences that we never were prepared to accept. And it's because we've allowed the enemy to have that stranglehold on our lives. And because sexual sin is in our lives, the Holy Spirit cannot come to the rescue. So that's what he means. And he is setting sexual immorality above or separate from the other sins because the other sins that we're guilty of, now they're bad and we need to repent and and, and seek the Lord's forgiveness. But sexual sin gives us, um, puts us at a, at a distinct disadvantage uh, when the enemy attacks and believe me, he is going to attack. Now just off the immediate context of this run, uh, I've found in my experience now, the Bible doesn't say this, I think it hints at it, but I've found uh, in my own experience that the other sins that give the, the enemy that kind of a, a deep inroad into us, uh, a, 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 an inroad that, that he uses even to change our minds and harden our hearts, uh, is drug use. Um, when we give access, our conscience, when we surrender our conscience uh, to drugs, uh, to sorcery of any kind, those kind of things, we're inviting the spirits in to destroy us. And uh, I, I see very often the same effect with those kind of things as they do with sexual immorality. And over a long period of time, when people are involved in those kind of things, whether it's sexual immorality, sorcery, witchcraft, drug use and abuse. And when I say drug use, I mean any drug, marijuana, any illegal drug, any mind-altering drug. When we are using those long-term, the enemy really, really takes advantage of that. So thank you very much for that one. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, Here's a question from Jimmy from our mobile app. What does Revelation 2.13 mean? Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 13 says, I know where you dwell, where Satan sits enthroned, yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now, a couple of things about these letters. Now, we know these letters are prophetic but they're also real. They were written to, to real churches. Um, to the passage in the Bible. Um, they were written to real churches, um, historical churches. Um, but uh, they, they had separate identities and separate purposes. This is the letter to the, the angel or to the pastor. That's really what it means. The messenger of the church in Pergamum. And he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Now, literally, there was a throne um, dedicated to the devil in in Pergamum. So that really happened. And yet what he's saying is, um, hang in there. This is a persecuted church. This is a a church that that, um, um, is always in the crosshairs of the enemy. Uh, we would say uh, it, it's, it's a church like starting a church in San Francisco or starting a church in a place where there is a cult that's grabbed hold of things. You know, it's going to be a very, very difficult ministry. And so when he says where Satan has his throne, literally you're fighting against the devil. Paul tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities. The, in other words, the, the, the angelic realm, the demonic angels. And um, that's what Pergamum was doing. And he, in this verse, he singles out Antipas. We don't know anything about him, but, but Jesus tells us that Antipas was faithful, faithful unto death, 
and Satan was the culprit who did it. So uh, he is um, telling him to hang in there. Um, the next verse, he says, I have a few things against you. You have people who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrifice to idols, and committing sexual adultery. Likewise, you also have those who hold on to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And the teaching of the Nicolaitans, uh, that, that's just a, um, a, a laity over people thing. In other words, um, there's always somebody between um the the people in God, uh, we live in a in a city uh, that practices uh, Nicolaitan doctrine. So that's what he's saying. So what it means is, um, the people in Pergamum, as hard as ministry was, as beaten beaten up as they were getting, uh, they were holding by faith onto their faith. Um, they were given the chance to renounce it and avoid persecution. But they did not. I didn't realize I was out of time. Wow. Hey, uh, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. I went right through the break. Let's be gone for a couple minutes. We'll be back and close the program. See you in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. I apologize for that awkward sign-off. Honestly, I had no idea that we went through that first half of the program that quickly. We would love your live calls and questions, 340-9585, that's area code 210, uh, or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question that came in anonymously to our email inbox. Um, Pastor Ron, I have family members attending Foursquare Church. And I also have looked into Lutheran Church. They both seem to be pretty biblically safe. And I'm thinking about joining one of these two churches as I'm handicapped and do not drive. Is there anything I could research besides just Googling uh, to make a good decision? What do you know about these churches, good or bad biblically? Thank you so much, and God bless you and your congregation for all the great things you're doing for Jesus' church. Well, thank you for the the nice words, anonymous, the kind words. Um, I do know something about both churches. Uh, Calvary Chapel's roots are foursquare. Uh, our founding pastor, Pastor Chuck, came from a four-square church. Um, he left the denomination. Um, he felt like the denomination was restricting uh, his ability to evangelize uh, and, and, and simply teach the word. Um, they are four-square churches tend to be a bit on the overly charismatic side. But they are genuine believers. Um, there just might be a little more emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit uh, without the attention um, being given properly to the biblical use of those gifts. Uh, but uh, certainly they are Christian churches and um, I, I think would be relatively safe, especially if, as it appears anonymous, uh, you are a discerning person. Um, the Lutheran Church, I would not recommend at all. Uh, the Lutheran Church is uh, a, a liturgical church in the sense that there is a, a, a way that they do it. They, they seem to be really, really super light on Bible teaching. Uh, I think their, their, their doctrine and practice of communion uh, is, um, is unbiblical. Um, part of the Lutheran Church, the, the church is split into two, Missouri Synod, uh, they remain fairly conservative and and and, and reasonably safe, and then the ELCA, uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Churches of America, and they have become a very very liberal uh, theologically, um, uh, ordaining women to be pastors, ordaining gay 
men and women to be pastors, certainly that isn't something that you'd want to do. Um, the the Missouri Synod churches, again, even though the doctrine is Christian, I mean, they're, they're, they're solidly Christian, um, you're just not going to get taught the Bible there. You're going to get these short messages, um, uh, get people in and out. Um, it, it just just isn't a, um, a a healthy balance of of the Bible being taught at all. So I hope that makes sense to you, anonymous. Good luck in finding one, and thank you for listening to the program. Uh, here is we got Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was reading in Proverbs the other day, uh, Proverbs 21, verse 17, and part of it I was, con- I was kind of curious about. I'll read the, the uh, verse. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. Now, I understand the wine part, how that destroys lives, but what I'm curious about is the oil, because I thought that oil was uh, basically used to, you know, for their little, those little lanterns they had that they, they'd put oil in it and light the little flame on it. So that part of it is what the part that I was curious about is the oil. So I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Thank okay, you. Okay, Cindy, before you, before you hang up, let me ask you what the verse again. It's okay, Proverbs it's 21. Um, Proverbs 21, verse 17. Yeah, 21, verse 17. Okay. I got it. Thank you very, very much. Thank Uh, you. Bye. Thank you. She was right. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. And in Solomon's Day, remember, these are poems, um, one of the poetic books. And in Solomon's Day, um, uh, wine and oil were symbols of wealth. And so we would say it this way. In fact, um, Paul did say it this way. The love of money is the root of all evil. Um, so uh, that's, that's what Solomon is basically, Cindy, saying exactly the same thing. Um, he follows that up by saying the wicked become a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. And he's just making a contrast there. Those who walk with the Lord have a better end is the idea. It's an awkward sentence construction in Hebrew, but that's what Solomon is saying. So it's not oil in the sense of anointing oil or or olive oil. It's just symbols of wealth is all that he's saying. Thank you for the question, Cindy. Appreciate it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question anonymous. From our email inbox, hi, Pastor Ron, when is the right time to stop communicating with a child? My adult daughter is consistently telling lies about us. She has orchestrated other family members to question us. One family member does not speak to us because she believes the lies. We have other children who have heard some of these lies but don't believe their sister. What are your thoughts? Do we continue to show grace and mercy after three years? Jesus shows us grace and mercy every moment of our slip-ups. Anonymous, these are always so painful, and I'm sorry you're going through these kind of things. Um, It sounds, and I'm just guessing here, so it sounds like she's got some emotional or even mental uh, problems. Um, My practice is never to defend myself against lies. It's hard not to do, because you've got people who are judging you and you've got other people who are saying, well, I'm standing with you. Um, what I would tell the, 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 the family members who believe you and don't believe her, I would just say, you know, let's don't talk badly about her. Just pray for her. It's really hard. And Well, well Mom, you've got to know, or Dad, you've got to protect yourself. Just say, no, the Lord's got me in this. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. And believe it or not, he loves your sister so much that he wants to use us. So that's the kind of grace that you give. Now, that does not mean that you have to be, uh, you know, put your, yourself in front of this person. I think being very direct with somebody who's telling lies is important. And I would simply say to her that you know and I know that you're lying about me. I have no idea why you're spreading these lies or what your motive is. But until you begin to tell the truth, until you ask for forgiveness, uh, we simply 
won't have any more communication um, between the two of us. So stop calling, stop texting. Um, um, the next thing that I would want to hear from you is, I'm sorry, can you please forgive me? And then say you'll be accepted right back in to our hearts. We love you. We're never going to stop loving you. But we can't subject ourselves to this kind of pain. And I think that kind of, of directness is something that the Lord can use. And again, I want to, to, to just tell you how sorry I am. These kind of divisions in families are so very, very painful. Uh, so again, don't defend yourself. Um, resist the temptation to do so. Um, God knows your heart. You know your heart. And it really doesn't matter at all what anybody else thinks. Sorry you're going through this. I just got two praise reports um, over the break. So uh, one of our, uh, uh, somebody left our church to go plant another church um, Got a, a, with cancer. Uh, we just got a report that he is cancer-free. So um, praise the Lord for that. We're, we're, we're having people whose lives are touched. We have another man, a dear, dear friend in our church who today is undergoing cancer. And um, Celeste, I don't know if you're listening, but we've been praying for you and Richard all day long and uh, praying that all is well. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. This one is from Linda. Um, Linda says, Pastor Ron, is there any way to know exactly what God's will for our life is? Linda, you've asked this question right on the heels of a pastor's discipleship class I did uh, Saturday, two hours, where we talked about this very issue. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of ways to know exactly what God's will for your life is. And let me also recommend that you tune in, either come visit us or tune in on, on uh, live stream at calvarysa.com on Friday. Because we're going to do a very short section, only four verses, um, where uh, Paul is talking about uh, praying for the Colossians that they would know the will of God for their lives. Now, there's a knowing God's will is not a mystery. Our problem is that we want all the details. Uh, when we say, God, I want to know your will for your life, we want to make decisions for us. Okay, Lord, should I go left or should I go right? Um, should I move or should I stay? Those kinds of things. And Jesus wants us to learn to trust him, to walk by faith. And so Jesus will simply say, follow me. But Lord, I don't know where we're going. Isn't that what the disciples said? Uh, you know the way to the place I'm going. And they said, but we don't know. So how can we get there? And, and that's when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So, Linda, if you want to know God's will, just be with Jesus. Follow him. Trust him. And here's the thing. He doesn't give us details. There's no specificity. Um, typically, when we say, what's your will? We want details. Okay, Lord, when should I go and what should I do? And how are we going to do it when we get there? And I want to know specifically. I want to know for sure. And, and you see, if we knew everything for sure, if God sent us an email every day with 10 things to do, uh, we would never have to guess. That means we would never have to walk by faith. And we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, Linda, what we do is we just follow him every day. You know, the single biggest source of comfort in my life, Linda, and, and I make decisions a lot. I mean, um, God's doing stuff in our church. And, and uh, you know, I'd like everybody to think Pastor Ron is so spiritual. He never makes a mistake. I make tons of mistakes. But I trust Jesus to take care of me because my heart's right. And um, Jesus has been super, super faithful to do that over all these years. But we want it down to a science where we know for sure. And that's just not going to happen. The will of God is a mystery. But it's a mystery that he reveals to us day by day. And that single biggest source of comfort that I have is simple. If I'm walking with Jesus today and I get up tomorrow and I, 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 have, I haven't done anything, I haven't sinned, I haven't broken off fellowship, then when I get up tomorrow, Tuesday, tomorrow, I know I'm in the middle of God's will. 
on this past Sunday at church yesterday. I told uh, the church, based on the, the, the Acts chapter 18 passage we were studying, that God has a very specific will for each and every one of our lives. Now, the fact that he doesn't tell us what that specific will is means that we find it day by day. We don't wait till Jesus gives us all the details just day by day. And here's the promise I made to our church here yesterday. I told them that if they are in the will of God, if they're following Jesus, if I'm walking with Jesus today, I cannot miss his perfect will. You know, we like to think God has a perfect will and an acceptable will uh, and a permissive will. No, he doesn't. He's got one will. God's will is perfect. And what we need to do is walk in that will. Example I gave yesterday was single people who want to be married. Um, if they're in Jesus' will, they can't miss that man or that woman. Um, you want to know what to do about a job. You want to know what to do about children. You want to know whatever it is. If you're with Jesus, you cannot miss the will of God. And too many of us, we act like it depends on us when in reality, Jesus said that he is the one who began a good work in us and he will be faithful to complete it. He is the author and the perfecter or finisher of our faith. So all we have to do is walk with Jesus and um, Linda, we cannot miss God's will for our lives. And that is so comforting to me because uh, you know, sometimes I feel like the stakes are pretty high and I want to be right. But then the Lord reminds me, all I have to do is be right with God and I'm in the middle of his will. So resist wanting the details. Sometimes uncertainty is good because it forces us to hold on to Jesus more tightly and just trust him. Trust your heart. And if your heart is right with God, then he'll correct you. If you make a mistake, I hope that helps. And thank you for the question. Here is our next question. This one is from anonymous from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. I had a unique encounter this past week. I was sharing Jesus and my faith with this guy. And after speaking to him for a couple of minutes, he shamed me for celebrating holidays like Christmas and Easter. I know the type. He said I was not saved, even though I've been saved for 10 years, because I could not speak in tongues. Um, He said if we don't speak in tongues, then I'm not saved. At times he spoke in tongues after I told him he was confused. He kept telling me to watch Geno Jennings. That's one I haven't heard before. Uh, That he is a prophet from God and that we need to listen to him. Can you make sense of all this? What should I do? I will see him again. I plan to ignore him. I wouldn't ignore him. Um, anonymous, here's what I would do. I would just say, you know what? Um, Boy, the Bible doesn't say what you said. And whoever this Geno Jennings guy is, he's not a prophet because the Bible says there are no prophets of God. And the Bible says very clearly that not everybody speaks in tongues. So here's what you've got. You've got a guy who's really caught up in in a prosperity church or a faith church um, and, um, uh, you know, they tend to be legalistic. Um, Christmas and Easter are pagan holidays, so we shouldn't do anything about them. So uh, ignore what he taught you or ignore the statements he was making, but don't ignore him. Just tell him, bro, I didn't know that you were really that far off in your doctrine. If you ever want to talk about it, I'd love to sit down with you and go through these things biblically with you. Um, but but until then, I don't want to talk anymore about that nonsense. I want you to know I, I care about you. I'm going to be praying for you. But we're not going to talk about those things. So don't ignore him, but ignore the nonsense that he's speaking to you. His doctrine is completely, utterly wrong and empty. Um, I've got, got uh, uh, some inference. Geno Jennings is an African-American religious leader known for establishing the fundamental and holiness Pentecostal denominations. 
the First Church of Our Lord Jesus Christ in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, embracing oneness Pentecostalism. Um, that that two that's two things. One, it is prosperity. That's what he's talking about. But the oneness Pentecostalism, uh, Jesus only, it's called in some churches. Um, that's heretical. That that doctrine is heretical. And uh, a man who believes that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit, um, that's blasphemy. That's heresy. And uh, and he needs to be saved. So really, really pray for him. And the fundamentalist part of what they believe, uh, the holiness part, is really unholy because there's no love attached to it. And... Um, um, just just really, really bad stuff. So don't listen to Geno Jennings, anybody in our audience. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Pastor Ron, this is from Gene uh, from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, what about this book, Enoch? I have a friend who's studying this and accepts it as truth. What do I tell her? How do I answer when she says it is true and deeply spiritual? Jean, Jean, you tell her that uh, it may be deeply spiritual, but it's not deeply wholly spiritual. Um, the Book of Enoch is is a book. It's it's actually quoted. Um, there there are some things in there that ring true, some principles, um, but but it's not not divinely inspired. So the book is not true. It it contains contradictions with the scripture that we have. Um, so you you can reject the book of Enoch as being inspired by God and, and tell your friend that she is in pretty deep water here and, and really isn't going to be able uh, to justify believing in the book of Enoch um, um, and finding consistent truth in it. So uh, it's just wrong. It, it's it's not spiritual other than unholy spiritual. Um, it, it is in, uh, contradictory, antithetical to the teachings of Scripture. I get asked about Enoch quite often, Gene. Thank you. Let's go to, we've got five minutes left. Let's go to Greg from Bulverde. Thank you for calling, friend. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, hey, this time, this morning I'm praying for you, and I pray for God's anointing to be on your life every day. Thank you, Greg. So, uh, my question is, um, some days, uh, I don't know how to really answer the, ask the question, but it, it seems like there's there's days, and maybe several days at a time, when you know God feels seems to be really close, and other times He's not so close. Is you know how how do we take that? Is that something that we should be looking at that we did that has grieved the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has pulled back a little bit, or sometimes that's just how He deals with us. That yeah. some days he, He's really close, other days it seems like, Lord, where are you? And I yeah. really could use some encouragement today, or would love to hear you today. I, I can do that, Greg. Thank you. This is a very mature question that you're asking. You know, when you read through the book of Acts, we read through it like like um, one chapter, this miracle, the next chapter, this miracle, the next chapter, thousands of people are getting saved. Um, but, but remember, the book of Acts covers a period of about 30 years. And especially as you go through Paul's missionary journeys, there's big gaps in time. And and what that means is that there are many, many days when Paul is traveling, when Paul is being chased, um, uh, days where um, the Spirit seems nowhere near him. Second uh, Corinthians 12, he says, uh, God, this thorn in the flesh, please heal me, take it away from me three times. And three times there was silence. And finally, God broke the silence by saying, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, stop asking. And and there's times, again, we have those goosebump days. We have those days where we can feel the presence of the Lord. Um, and then those days that are just ordinary days. And those are the days when we hold on to our faith. Those are the days when we trust by faith because of the promises in the Word of God. Those are the days when we realize that He's just as close to me on the goosebump days as He is right now. He's no, you know, no farther away because I don't feel Him or I don't experience Him 
It's just the ordinary nature of our lives, the monotony or the routines that we fall into. It's not that you did anything bad. And Greg, it's my belief, my fervent belief, biblically and I think experientially, that it's in those times when we don't feel the presence of God. It's in those times when God is doing the greatest work in us. We're being conformed to the image of God. We're being conformed to his likeness. And like Jesus, we're being forced to know by faith in the absence of feelings or in the absence of goosebumps that God is with me. Now, what I do in those times is I'll just go out and make the confession when I'm praying. Lord, uh, I know you're here. I know you're here because you promised you'd never leave me. So today, Lord, I need to catch up. I need to stay close to you. And I'm going to serve you not by power, not by might, but by your spirit. And how I feel doesn't matter. So, Greg, and emotional people have a more difficult time with this than people like me. I'm more logic-focused. Uh, um, but, but we just have to know that he's there. And the fact that he's not giving us goosebumps, the fact that, that we don't feel his presence doesn't mean we still don't worship, that we're still not grateful, and we're still not thanking him in prayer all the time. So, Greg, this is just growing up in your faith. That's all it is. And I think that is more typical of the normative Christian life. Greg, I appreciate so much your prayers for us. You will never know. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. God bless you. We'll see you on AM630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.